Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke. Hear now what your God says to you, O people. Listen carefully, for these are his words to you. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, equip us with everything we need to interpret and to apply this passage to understand what it says, and to live it out in our lives. We know this is only possible by the work of the Holy Spirit, and so we pray that you would work by the Spirit in us, lead us to the cross of Christ, change our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. What is the greatest enemy to your prayer life? We could think of many things, probably forgetfulness, forgetting to pray, Maybe doubt, struggling to to know whether our prayer even does anything. Well, last week, you'll remember, we started talking about prayer again. Jesus has this way of always winding his way back to prayer and encouraging us to pray and and really um, grabbing our attention and and helping us to pray because he knows our weaknesses. And Jesus talked about one great enemy to our prayer life last week. He talked about the weariness. The weariness that comes in um, during this time between, uh, between the times when Christ has already come, brought the kingdom in power, and the time when he is going to come again and bring all things to their, their conclusion. And in the middle of that time is suffering and the temptation to grow tired and weary. says in verse, in chapter 18, verse one, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And so losing heart is one of those great enemies to our prayer life. We talked about the antidote, the solution that God gives in his word, which is really just understanding who God is. He's great character. He's not like the unjust judge. He is a just judge, even a a great father to us. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus gives us a greater enemy to 
our prayer life. Greater even than weariness. As serious as, serious as weariness is, God tells us that the greatest enemy to your prayer life is, guess what? Pride. Pride. Because you can see, weariness wears down and suffocates your prayers, but pride infects your prayers and twists your posture. Pride distorts your prayers. If, if prayer was like a balloon that you, you sent up into the sky, you know, in one of those balloon releases, you know, maybe you've been part of one of those. If, if your prayers were one of those, you know, weariness would, would, would take all the air out of the prayer so that it struggles to get off the ground, struggle to even get going. But pride is like a needle that comes, it just pops, bursts your prayer before it even has a chance to get going. We're going to understand why pride is such a great enemy to prayer and really why pride is such a great enemy to the Christian life itself. Because Jesus goes beyond prayer in this parable. He wants to help us with our prayers. But even more than that, he wants us to understand how a sinner can be right before a holy God, how we can even come to God with our prayers in the first place and really believe that he hears us, that he accepts us, that he justifies us in his sight. Jesus does that by showing us two very different men. They have one mission, going to the temple and getting a prayer off the ground up to God. But only one man is able to do so. And only one man comes home justified right in the sight of God. Well, let's look at each of these men. First, we'll look at the Pharisee, and then we'll look at the tax collector. That's the basic structure of how I'm going to do this. The Pharisee and his prayer, and the tax collector and his prayer. We see the, prayer, the Pharisee's prayer here in verse 11. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Here's the Pharisee. He's come up into the temple. You could say he's going to church. Um, and what does he do? He starts to pray. Already you see what he's doing. He, he puts himself in that place of prominence before everyone. And you know he stands firmly and probably aloud, so everyone can hear, he announces these words that you've just heard. Now, we have a negative perception of the Pharisee. We just have to face that. Because already embedded in our very language is, uh, you know, when we don't like someone, we think they're too judgmental. What do we say? Oh, they are a Pharisee, right? We're coming to this after the fact, after we've heard all of that Jesus has said, everything that he's already said about Pharisees, in fact, in this passage. But guess what? People who were hearing Jesus say this for the first time would not have those same assumptions about a Pharisee. And so I, I want to help you to, to, to pull back and to look at this from their eyes. In fact, Pharisees had a solid reputation. Pharisees were the religious leaders in their day, and they were there for a reason. They didn't just appoint themselves there. The people had some sort of a respect of these Pharisees so that they actually entrusted to them leadership. 
accountability. Pharisees were devoted to the principles and the practices of righteousness. They were the spiritual leaders of God's people in this day. They were like the elders and the pastors of the churches that you look, you look up to today. And let me give you three reasons why as soon as the people in this day heard that there was a Pharisee going up to the temple to pray, they thought, oh yes, his prayer will get off the ground. Oh yes, he will be accepted in the sight of God. Three reasons. One, Pharisee is a moral man. He is deeply moral. In fact, he has distinguished himself sharply from the liberalism of his day in the form of the Sadducees, who, who like to kind of play around with God's law. The Pharisee says, that is not me. How dare you, Sadducee? And so this intense keeping of God's law, no public scandals for the Pharisees. They were squeaky clean, respectable. They were the people you'd, you'd look to if you wanted to see in this day. What, is, what does it look like to take God's law extremely seriously? Well, there's another reason why people would think, well, surely this Pharisee's prayer will get off the ground. He is a, th- this Pharisee coming to the temple is a disciplined man. He prays every day. This trip to the temple isn't something new for him. In fact, he probably came at this time, probably three o'clock in the afternoon, and he, already, he had probably at this point already come in the morning and he's planning to head back in the evening. Disciplined approaches to God in prayer. And it's part of his daily schedule. And we see even more of his spiritual discipline in his prayer itself. He fasts twice a week. Did you know that you know, fasting, abstaining from, from eating for a time was only required in the Jewish law one time a year. One time a year. That's, that's all it was required. And here's a guy who fasts twice a week. That's discipline. That's commitment. Surely his prayer will get off the ground. Well, finally, how about this? He is a generous man. He gave a tenth of all his income. If he found a dime laying on the ground, he would take it. He'd say, oh, I've got to tie the tenth of this. Imagine... It's a preacher I heard who made this excellent point. Imagine if you had, um, let's say, half of your church was, was joined, your, your church was joined by a, a large number of Pharisees. Let's say that. Let's say, in fact, the entire church suddenly became Pharisees. Everyone tithing a full tenth of everything they have, sometimes even more. The church's giving might triple or even quadruple right before your eyes. These are men who, who pour out their earnings to God. And so imagine that this guy, this Pharisee who's going up to the temple to pray, imagine he has an interview for membership in our church, as is our custom to do. We sit down and talk to people. And, and you say, are you regular in your spiritual disciplines and prayer and Bible reading? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I do that every day, every day. Uh, at the beginning of every morning, I pray, pray and read my Bible. Say, are, are you regular in giving to the church? Oh, yes. I make it my custom to give a tenth of, of everything, in fact. And um, I, I believe that God, God blesses me for doing so. He, 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 he's, 
He has given richly to me and I give richly back to him. And then imagine you, you asked him, are there, any, are there any public scandals or sins that we need to be aware of with you? Oh, no. No, there's, there's nothing. I, I devote myself to living according to the Ten Commandments. I, I live out God's law. Are you grateful for the things that God has given you? Oh, yes. I thank God every day for all that he's done. You know, at this point, you, you might say, this guy's great. You know, he, let, let's bring him right into membership in our church. What's to hold us back? In fact, why don't we start classes right now for him to become a, you know, a, an, an elder in our church? This guy is squeaky clean. But there's one major problem with this man. And there's one major problem with his prayer. And there's one major thing missing in this church membership uh, scenario I've just painted for you. It's that such a man comes before God not needing anything. He comes to the temple three o'clock in the afternoon with his chest puffed up and his arms are full. He, he stands He stands in need of nothing, or so he thinks. What does he come with in his arms? Well, these are metaphors, of course, but I think they paint the picture for us. He comes with a resume in his hand, you could say. A long list of accomplishments. Look at five times. You just hear the language, I, 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 over and over again. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You hear that? Hear how he as, uh, goes beyond that to rattle off his, his accomplishments, how he's abstained from evil, has, how he's abstained and he's given generously. He has a resume full of his accomplishments to the point where you start to ask, is this really a prayer? Or is it just a humble brag? You know what a humble brag is. God, I'm so thankful that I am so great. You know, I don't know. I can't think of another humble brag right now, but, but you, you, know what, you know what the kind of humble brags were, where someone is, is putting on airs, is taking this posture where they want you to hear how great they are, but they do it in such a way that kind of sounds humble. You know, I'm so thankful that God has kept me from, uh, from sin all these years of my life, that I've, I've really done exactly what he's commanded and nothing short of that. You know, if this man had a song, one commentator I read this week said, it would be, great is my thankfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with me. I keep your law. And so we start to wonder, is this even a prayer at all? Or is it just self-talk? Is it just... Has his petition even gotten off the ground? Is there a petition at all? I don't think so. Sounds like this man has come before God with a resume, really wanting God and men around him, especially to hear his accomplishments, but he also comes with a ruler. So he comes with a, a resume in his hand. He also comes with a ruler, like a measuring stick. And what is this ruler for? It's a metaphorical ruler. It's, it's so that he can contrast people 
with himself and, and show how they just don't measure up to his accomplishments. And so he glances around and he chooses the lousiest guy he can in the room, the tax collector, who's, he probably has to look way in the back of the room to even see him. And already he's saying, God, I'm not like him. Remember that. Remember that. I haven't done what he's done. I haven't failed in the ways he's failed. That must mean something about me. That must mean that I measure up in a way that he doesn't. And so you'll see this resume and this ruler. What is the great problem with this prayer? It's pride. It's pride. He's so puffed up that his prayer doesn't even get off the ground. So we hear that this is not just a problem for this man. It is a problem for the church. And every Christian and everyone who professes the name of God in every age, Galatians 6, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says this, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then you hear, in Philippians chapter 3 of that long list of accomplishments that maybe our favorite Pharisee, the Apostle Paul, has to say. And what is that list? I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. According to zeal, I excel. You know, according to training, I was a, a Pharisee. And so Paul lists this long list of accomplishments, but at the end he says, but because of Christ, all of this is rubbish. It is garbage. It is nothing. See, this Pharisee comes with arms full of pride, but by the end of the parable, what does Jesus say? He's no more than the other guy. The guy who who goes home not justified. Not accepted, but in his sin. Friends, we laugh at this Pharisee, but there is a Pharisee in each of us. What are the clues that this Pharisaism, this pride that surges, you know, is is maybe even surging in you and in your prayer life? What are the clues? Well, a a few clues I want you to note first. When you start to say, I deserve to God. Are there subtle ways in which you catch yourself saying, God, I just want this one thing. I just need this one thing. And I should get it. That's pretty bold, but I think there are subtle ways that we can say that to ourselves. God, I deserve something. I deserve to be recognized for all the, my hard effort I've put in. Well, how about this one? When you thrive on comparing yourself with others, when your conversation is seeping with contempt for others, how often do we do that? We We compare ourselves with other believers. At least I'm not like them. At least I'm not burdened by that sin. I've gotten past that. What about when we contrast ourselves with society, the world around us? We see society diving deeper and deeper into sin. And we congratulate ourselves that we're not like them. Isn't that what can happen so often on social media? We, We can even congratulate ourselves that we aren't virtue signaling like the virtue signaling of the world. And then we virtue signal about it. We look at 
homosexuality and abortion and, and the, 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 the sins that we like to prop up in our culture. And yet, we compare ourselves to those and can pat ourselves on the back that we've kept ourselves from them. And yet, what about the long list of sins that we do, those respectable sins that we indulge in, like pride itself? Well, here's another one. You may be close to the pride of Pharisaism when you read this passage and you say to yourself, I'm so glad I'm not like that Pharisee. I'm so glad I'm more humble than him. I can't believe that he would go into the temple and pray like that. You see... We are more like that Pharisee than we like to admit, and we need to see him, ourselves in him in this parable. And then we need to hear the prayer that does get off the ground, the prayer that in fact saves the soul, the prayer of the tax collector, the prayer of the penitent. We heard the prayer of the proud, now hear the prayer of the penitent. That's a lot of peas, I know, but you know that I kind of like to do that sometimes. (laughs) Okay. So there's another man praying in the temple that day. Verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, as soon as people in Jesus's day would hear the, 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 the name tax collector, they'd have assumptions about that too. And they weren't good. And I want you to hear it. I want you to hear what they would think. Three reasons why this guy's prayer would never be acceptable to God. Would never get off the ground in the first place. First, this guy, this tax collector, is stained by sin. Tax collectors were the scum of society. Let's just say it outright. They were, like, if if they were someone today, they would be the drug pushers and the pimps who prey on other people, who take advantage of other people's bodies, And they don't turn around and look. Because tax collectors were hired by the enemies of of Israel, the enemies of God's people, the Roman Empire, to, to, uh, to collect all the exorbitant and oppressive taxes that Rome was was putting on on the Jewish people. And so no one else wanted to do it. The Romans didn't want to do that dirty work. And so they hired out people to do it. That would be like, I don't know, the IRS hiring Visa and MasterCard to, to do all, all the tax business, right? Things would get out of control. You imagine what would happen, right? The interest rates go sky high. Your, your, you know, your, your taxes are, are way more than they ever would be because then you have to pay a cut to the guys who are ferreting it out. And that's what was happening. The tax collectors were oppressing people with exorbitant costs. This guy's stained in deep ways by sin and tax collectors were known not only for, for their, uh, their thievery and their deceit and their stealing and robbing from the Jewish people, but also for all kinds of adultery and sin that, that was in their, their ranks. And that's the first thing. This guy is stained by sin. This guy also probably hasn't come to the temple in years. Why should God hear his prayer? This is probably the first time this tax collector would even venture into the courts of a temple uh, in years, in years. Third reason, this guy isn't like the Pharisee at all. Look at how he prays. He doesn't even take the right posture. 
head low. Standing at a distance, way in the back of the room. Well, let me give you one reason for why this prayer is instead the prayer that saves the soul. The prayer that every Christian should seek to pray. He pleads for God's mercy. He pleads for God's mercy. When the tax collector comes before God, he doesn't have a ruler in his hand to contrast himself with all these other people. No, the only comparison he makes is between himself and God. Did you notice that? God be merciful to me, the sinner. What is he saying? He's saying, God, I know how holy you are. I know your righteous standards. In fact, what's the symbol of that? He's in the very back of the room. Can't even get close to the holy of holies. And not only that, his head is low. He can't even look up because he is ashamed of his sin. He knows it. He feels it. He feels the weight of it. Can't even bring his head to lift his head because he knows that he is a sinner who has fallen far short of the holy and righteous standard of perfect and perpetual and personal obedience to God's law. He brings no resume in his hand. In fact, look at what he says about himself. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. If you look at the Greek text here, it is clear as day that he is saying, I'm not just a sinner. I am the sinner. Reminds me of 1 Timothy 1.15, where Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. No, the only thing that this tax collector brings are the opening words of Psalm 51. The same words which David prayed when he confessed to adultery with Bathsheba. God, be merciful to me. On your grace, I rest my plea. Blot out my transgressions. Cleanse me. Make make my sins pure as snow. I was brought forth in iniquity. God, be merciful to me. And Jesus gives us the most amazing fact, the most surprising fact about this parable. This is the thing that would have just, everyone in the room would have been shocked when they heard this. I tell you, this man went home down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee rejected. The tax collector, the great public sinner, embraced. Why? Because he prayed. Because he asked for mercy. Now, friends, which prayer is yours this morning? What's what's the posture of your hearts in prayer this morning? One pastor says this, "What what a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no other. Listen to that again. What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no other. Without all the, without the resume, without the ruler, without other people to contrast yourself with, when you are just alone with God and and you're aware of all the sins of your heart, what do you bring before God? Are you playing 
Are you playing pretend like the Pharisee? Or do you say, with this tax collector, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. God invites you this morning to turn humbly, to ask for his mercy, and to make this prayer your own. God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Now, where would we find mercy like that? Where would we find mercy? God relenting of his wrath, punishment towards sinners who have disobeyed him. Where would we find that? Well, we have a hint in our passage because this tax collector asked for mercy. But if you dive into that word and study it and say, what kind of mercy exactly is he asking for? He was asking for a particular kind of mercy. He was asking for the kind of mercy that is accomplished when the high priest would take the blood of a sacrifice and pour it on the mercy seat before the, the, the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies before God and give access to the people of God into the presence of God. What was he asking for? He is asking for a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, an atonement to bring him into the presence of God. You can see it, right? God is on one side. God, be merciful to me. And then the sinner is on the other side. God and the sinner. And there's a great gulf between them. But what comes right in the middle? Mercy. The mercy seat. The blood which is poured out before God and the sinner. Giving the sinner access to a holy God. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ, the very one who spoke the words of this parable, went to Jerusalem to accomplish. He poured out his blood. Though he had no sin of his own, he went and he laid down the great sacrifice of his life before, before God on the cross for sinners. So that now, as we come and lay claim to his blood and pray for mercy, God does pour out the great blood of the Savior on the mercy seat welcome us into his presence. Jesus Christ is the one who bridges that gap between God and his holiness and the sinner and your stench and filth. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a mercy seat covering by his blood to be received by faith. There is hope for tax collectors, sinners, public sinners. There is hope for Pharisees and the sin, trapped in the sin of pride. And what is that hope? It is the hope of turning away from our sin and turning to the God who, who invites us to say to him, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's pray. Dear Lord, be merciful to us. We are sinners. We pray that you would bridge the gap between us as you already have as we have laid a hold of Christ by faith. This Savior is to be received by faith and we pray that we would do so and do so boldly this morning. Help us to believe in him. Help us to trust in him and help our prayers to be humble. Humble prayers that lay a hold of your grace. Exalt us, Lord as we come to you in our humility and exalt us in the power of Christ Jesus and the mercy he brings us. We pray this in Christ's name.
Amen.